Live from 2005 at Studio 60 on Sunset Strip. Jokes. We got jokes. Double jokes and comedy. That's what we would we would say if Studio 60 and Sunset Strip, the Aaron Sorkin epic, was a real show. The show that they do, the fucking sketch comedy show, but not the actual show, Studio 60 on Sunset Strip, which is... Aaron Sorkin's Mind Palace about a world where a West Coast produced uh, Saturday Night Live ripoff is as important as high stakes and, uh, you know, as courageous to do as going into a cathedral and calling God an epic cocksucker. Live from the year 2016, it's Devil's Island and Donald Trump is the latest uh, inhabitant uh, from President Hillary Clinton. That's what you would be hearing if they had allowed Studio 60 to run more than one season. It's true. They could have spoken so much more truth to power. Live from 2016, the religious right is no longer a factor in American politics. Everyone read Richard Dawkins and we're all epic atheists now. So and they did a bunch of mushrooms and they realized uh, that you know we're all just part of one big universe man. So gang we're now completing a trilogy with this episode. The trilogy is complete. The trilogy has been complete and the prophecy of Sorkin has finally come all full circle. The crimson rimmed eye of Sorkin has opened. Yeah the you know the Aaron Sorkin universe is probably the only thing more expansive and more like creative and cool than the Matrix universe. Absolutely. Because it's like, all right, what's politics? Boom, West Wing. What's the news? The newsroom. Okay, but what's the last piece of civilization? It's Late live sketch, sketch comedy. comedy. Yeah. Sketch comedy. And it's, now we have it. It's Studio it, 60 it, on It's Sunset comedy Street. in general. I guess, I don't know if we'll ever do Sports Night. but No, I mean, Sports Night is his least bad show, largely because it's only 20 minutes. Okay. You, uh, but so it is, is, I did watch it when it came out, and it is hilarious how super important he treats what is just a ripoff of sports center it's amazing how important he treats i mean it's just it's just like packages of of bloopers it's of like am- guys getting hit in the b- balls with a with a fucking soccer ball it's amazing how important he treats everything yeah like if aaron sorkin did you could con aaron sorkin into doing a show about the production of america's funniest home videos and it would have the same like gravitas the same like Oh no, a nuke's about to be launched, musical cues, the same long tracking shots of people going down a hallway. It, you could literally do it with anything. This is a man who's constantly on edge. I know that I rail against uppers a lot, but this is what uppers do to your brain. His he views every cultural production with the gravity of the early space program. It's all as it's all as freighted with import as landing a man on the moon. It's just yeah, okay, so Obviously, we've done the West Wing, yeah. and you know that's where he bought his brought his like incredibly you know pompous uh, uh, sense of you know moral certitude and like righteousness and just like if just the, if we just say the right words. I mean, that was literally about the American president. Yeah, that was a show about the White House. It was obnoxious, but so the, it was obnoxious. The, the, the self seriousness like, was at least earned by the stakes at hand. Yeah, they're they're yeah they're running America yeah. and you know the world. Yeah, uh, the newsroom hilariously. That's like the most. The newsroom is like the most uncut Sorkin that oh, yeah. we'll ever on HBO, ever see on HBO. He's totally in charge, and he lends it. the same gravitas to the, a fucking cable news show. Yeah. Literally, it's about Keith Olbermann's TV <laughs> yes. show. Yeah, and what's how? 
how is he going to dress down George Bush's shameful antics tonight? Yeah. Uh, and that was obviously uh, absurd, but nothing compares to bringing that exact same attitude to a fucking sketch comedy to show. SNL. SNL. To Saturday and Night the, and Live. And the thing is, not even SNL, because SNL exists in this universe. It's a show that hasn't even been on as long as SNL. It's an SNL. It's basically like Mad TV. It's not even a show about SNL. It's about Mad TV, only without as many hilarious characters like the Asian lady and the mentally handicapped child. <laughs> it's like Aaron Sorkin is so amazing because he refuses to... Like, he makes fictional universes where everything is the same except his guys. Yes. Like, Reagan was president. <laughs> he was a... Like, there's the same timeline in the West Wing, yeah. except for a couple presidents. In, yeah, Newsroom... It's not that Jeff Newsroom is a Keith Olbermann, Jake Tapper, composite character. Those guys exist. They just respect it. Like, they respect Sorkin's guy more. Yeah. He's, He's the like, best version of any of them. Right. It's truly insane. It's like if you Dragon Ball Z existed in the same world, existed in a world where like the UFC was real. <laughs> it's my, it's like it is how a six year old would make a show because it's like, all right, is this a concurrent? Is this like, you know, you're highly fictionalizing, combining things because you don't have time to show everything. No, all the guys are real and they respect my guys more. I mean, you know, if you want to go back and listen to uh, the West Wing episode 101 newsroom episode, yeah. episode 111, because I know we talk in those episodes about how, like, the, the major Sorkin motif is that uh, no matter what he's writing about, no matter what character he's writing about, like the main character is always him. And then, like a smart but strong woman who must be brought to under. <laughs> yeah, she's she must she's be brought smart to heal. for a woman. Yeah, but she also has all of those annoying woman feelings, and she has to kind of be dressed down and reminded of her place. It's like the Aaron Sorkin, like the the major theme in all of his work, like where it's, it doesn't matter what he's writing about. The only thing he writes about is what I, the smartest, coolest person in the world, would say to the right person in that room at the time to change the course of human events. Yeah. Except this time he's doing it about a, also a second rate version of Saturday <laughs> yes. night live, which he is imbued with the same self seriousness as like Cronkite saying the Vietnam war is lost. Yep. Is uh, doing a sketch that this is a two episode plot arc called crazy Christians. Yeah. And if those sketches, which had been blocked for years by fucking standards and practices by the, the psycho Christian fundamentalist pressure groups, it really does sort of suggest that if that sketch had been allowed to air, George W. Bush would not have been reelected. I, I want to, you know, my dream uh, after the show finally ends is that I am hired as a professor at like uh, the, the King Solomon University in Riyadh to teach a class specifically about the year 2006 in American culture. And my starting syllabus, it would be the interpreter with Nicole Kidman collateral yes and then studio 60 on sunset strip this is a truly lost era and nothing captures so much why we have forgotten it like this show this <laughs> is an in, there are i assume nine hours of this extremely short run show 20 hours i'd say at least half of it is about just triggering the fundies oh no that's the whole thing is they're battling because the, the the network is always telling them you can't do that. It's too. They actually say this in the in the opening in the pilot. It's too funny and smart. You can't put that on air, <laughs> and it's never 
it was not really about the money. It's not about the advertisers the way it was with Newsroom where, oh, you're going to get the Cokes mad at us. It was, we're going to get so many letters from fundamentalist Christians that we can't allow it on air. So in his universe, all of the good comedy is being prevented from going on air because the studios are scared of Christians. I mean, I can't underscore this enough. Like the way the West Wing was all about, you know, here's, you know, here, here's my fantasy version of like the American, uh, you know, capitalist imperialist state being run by good people. Yeah. Like here, like here, here's the good, the smart people. The, like the, the good, this is, this is how I would run the country. Mm-hmm. Newsroom, even more hilariously, because it was like just a remix of news events that had happened like a year prior. So he was like, this is how the world's best fucking newsman would have responded to the Gabby Gifford shooting yep. or whatever. He would not again, have said she was the, dead. The import of all of this is like that this matters. Yeah. This matters, goddammit. Like, you know, you, yeah, you think television is just a boob tube that you watch? It's like, no, it's about so much more than that. And I can't underscore how much that has played to the hilt about this show, which is, again, Saturday Night Live. So if you want to, like, we've made fun of Saturday Night Live a lot on this show and a lot, and like, in the Trump era, the way, uh, whether it's Trevor Noah or fucking SNL. Sambi. Yeah, so, like, all the, this whole genre of, like... Every fucking late night show. Yeah, like, late night political comedy about, you know, Donald Trump or whatever. And, like, this this idea that now that we've invested, we've imbued late night TV comedy as being like the correct opinions like offered about the president yeah. Trump, you know, this started in the Bush administration with the daily show. Um, but now it's reached like a real apotheosis. Yeah. Comedy it's, is just saying the true thing about yeah, exactly. President Cheeto. And it, it's amazing to watch this show, which is from like, as we said, 2006. Mm-hmm. And again, like this is, this is the patient zero for all of this idea. And we come back again to Aaron Sorkin as being like the guy, like that, like, you know what? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's it's corporate television, but damn it, the people who work there care. And if the right people were in charge, this would be a better country. Yeah. If we had smart, yeah, TV's dumb, but if we had smart TV, yeah. people would be better. And people were waiting for it. People watch smart TV, but they are not getting it from the cowards and, at the network. And like you know, by you know w- w- what he's really saying though is like people need to be watching Aaron Sorkin yes, TV shows. You know? Obviously, well, there is something like accidentally genius about this though i believe and it's that about eight to ten years before comedy just got so shitty you can't even watch it ironically unless you're mad or virgil and watch <laughs> every saturday night live for some insane self-destructive reason i just need to see what they're up to it's just too epic i can't miss it uh before that ever happened when there still was a lot of good comedy on average well not on average but more so than now <laughs> it did explain why it would become so bad. And it was this false concept of this perfect past of comedy. There's this like comedy nerd nerdness to this show, but not for like anything really that funny because there is no sense of past. They, 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 they have no cultural frame of reference because they've just been, they've driven themselves completely insane by only reacting to culture around them. They lost the point at the wall they're supposed to stare at to not depersonalize and lose their space in the room. And it's just pure reaction and counter reaction and attempting to find some sense of history and then some sense of future and never finding it and just existing in this ether moving, trying to move back and forth between whatever cultural moment of the week 
and just flailing, just doing the same thing where you say exactly what happened while making the epic face. And it predicted that yeah. because that's exactly what the comedy in the show is. Now, that comedy in the show is depicted as like groundbreakingly brilliant. We're, I'm going to take you through a couple of these episodes now that we've watched. I'll, I'll describe the, the, the characters in the show to you. But like as we go through it, I cannot underscore how jaw dropping the, the gap between the way they talk about like the material because the entire concept of the show is that like it's you know studio 60 on the sunset strip is sort of a a moribund comedy institution it's become very hack and lame and safe and then like it's all about they bring in the two guys they bring in matthew perry and bradley whitford who are like the like hottest most cutting edge dangerous comedy writers who like used to work for the show before they quit because the suits wouldn't let them do the crazy christian sketch the gap between like what they, like what the writers and Aaron Sorkin perceives as like smart, groundbreaking, subversive comedy, and what's actually what you, the little glimpses of the jokes and sketches that you actually get to see on the show is breathtaking. Well, and he's he seems to be semi dimly aware of it because that crazy Christian sketch is a, apparently a season long arc of because it's they wrote it four years ago. It's why they originally got fired. Then they were gonna do it for the pilot episode when the original showrunner played by Judd Hirsch is told you can't do it. And then he does a Howard Beale thing yeah. on live TV saying TV is garbage. It's a sewer. It's a, it's a, you, you might as well not, you're not holding a remote. You're holding a crack pipe. Yeah. As Matt says, like, uh, he begins, we live in a society. Uh, Judd Hurt, like, I don't, I don't think he ever comes back. I don't know. I'm, I don't know. I'm, who know. I'm not going to watch enough of this show to find Pro- out. He, he probably, probably. It opens with, yeah, like, uh, it's it's Friday night live, you know, and like they're about, you know, and they open with their stupid cold open sketch. And it's like, you know, George Bush being dumb. But like prior to that, Judd Hirsch, the showrunner, had just been turned like told by Standards and Practices, played by Michael Stuhlbarg, that like the smartest, most lively, just cutting edge sketch they got to cut it. They say it's too smart, but it was funny. I mean, they're all saying this. Yeah. And but uh, and so then he goes on a Howard Beale. Uh, sh- uh, he literally interrupts a live TV yeah. broadcast, tells the actors to like get off stage yeah. and like addresses the camera in his Howard Beale moment, which then, you know, Sorkin reminds you 10 times after that, that like it was just like Patty Chayefsky's network. Yeah. Who's that writer again? Patty Chayefsky. Yep. Who's the modern day Patty Chayefsky? Mm, glad you asked. Per- personal hero of mine, yeah. Patty Chayefsky. It's, but it's important. It's, it's, that- it's literally like it, it's literally like it's like if we wrote a show about having a podcast and there is a scene where like a podcaster fucks a porn star and they're like, that podcaster fucks as good as Peter North. <laughs> <laughs> and he, but during it, see, this is always where Sorkin goes into cloud cuckoo land while he's ranting about how, yeah, comedy, this show used to be cutting edge and dangerous and it would challenge people and it was subversive. And now it's bland and cookie cutter. And then he makes the jump to, and because of that, because the sketch comedy isn't good anymore, now we're all mean and dumb. Yes. He has this insane, this, he's, he's the most idealist thinker in modern art. And he, he thinks the material reality has no relationship to anything. It's just pure will and, and personal uh, uh, creativity. And if you're not, if you don't have the smart, right people in charge, then everyone gets stupid and violent and 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 crass because they're not being led by the smart people with the good comedy. Yo, don't you see? Again, he's an accidental genius. This is the hope punk thing. <laughs> he literally okay. The culture now where it's like 
you can't even por- portray a negative like a uh, a fucking you can't portray a protagonist with negative characteristics because it's an endorsement it's an of those endorsement. characteristics. Yes. Yeah, you know, it but, makes yeah. people toxic. Yeah. yeah, he's a yeah. He's the Nostradamus of hacks. <laughs> he predicts exactly what dumb cultural moment we're in. This moment we're in now where, um, you know, uh, watching whatever Netflix show where people are nice to each other makes you a good person. Watching Parks and Recs rec helps make you a good person he he was so ahead of the curve on that now because he's aaron sorkin instead of like making it easily digestible for the bird brands that live in this country he just made it not smart but incredibly clunky and incorporated gilbert and sullivan into it it didn't take off but he his he was just you know he was a bit too early for his time you know like it's like yes it's it's like you know where did america go wrong it's when, you know, the, the politicians stopped, you know, sitting in a room and hammering Reagan and Tip, you know, yeah. that was the, and then and now it's all bad and stupid. And it's like, he's all, he's about like, you know, TV got done when, you know, SNL lost its balls. And yeah. it's just like, 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 in what universe was Saturday Night Live ever like a truly groundbreaking or like, or like dangerous they're TV big, show? They're big, when they started, Gerald Ford was president and their big hook on him, the guy who pardoned Nixon was he falls down all the time. Yeah, they're one of the funniest sketches they ever did. It was Eddie Murphy, and it was like, "What if Mister Rogers was a black guy?" <laughs> That's literally it. There's nothing groundbreaking about it. he. Sorkin isn't a comedy writer, but he he sincerely believes, you know, as a in the same vein as a comedy nerd, that like whatever bullshit Saturday Night Live was doing in like 1983, where it's like, "Oh, okay, so uh, he's a football fan, but he's really fat." was just no one had ever seen anything like it so what okay so judd hirsch has his howard beale moment and then like it's like an all hands on deck you know all like the the network brass they get in a big room and the new president of the network uh is uh, a young woman played by amanda pete i think her name is like jordan breen or something jordan <laughs> no jordan breen is our friend no but this is another thing we noticed about sorkin yeah, this right? is really good that so was a Sor- good observation by uh, Sor- good. sorkin in all his shows so there's, you know, the classic, there, there are two types of females. There's the dumb bitch and her, <laughs> which al- is most women, always a name, you know, like Sarah, Tammy, Tammy, uh, some Amanda, shit, some shit like that. A lady name. A girl. But then there's girl a name. sweetie pie. Yeah. Sweet, oh, sweetie. Sugar, <laughs> sugar, <laughs> sugar toes, belly button. Uh, but a serious woman will be given sort of a unisex tilting towards masculine first name jordan in this show and and uh sarah paulson plays the christian chenoweth-esque christian star of the show her name is harriet but they all call her harry Harry, yeah and she has a she has a she has a she just broke up with matthew perry's head writer character and they have a tension thing throughout but she's harry on the west wing uh uh uh, cj craig cj craig mckenzie on the newsroom if you, if uh, Ainsley Ainsley he only respects a women woman character if she has a neutral to masculine name and uh, Felix another thing you pointed out in in the Sorkin verse uh, like in addition to that dichotomy there's also sort of a hierarchy where like you know there's the main character. The main character is the strong woman who's named like Sam or Brett or something. Yeah, yeah. and they're oh, yeah. like, "This is fun- our new. This is our new producer. She's a perfect ten out of ten dime. She has the same beliefs as a sixty-five-year-old Democrat from Connecticut, <laughs> and her name her name is Stephen. <laughs> That's what awesome character, Aaron. And then uh, all the the other women are like." 
these frail, mousy, like, you know, just homely, like, little ah! doormats. Yeah. Just scurrying about and like it was like basically like the difference between like royalty and like a serf in the medieval era, like the the mousy women, like a a fast talking, uh, smart, and uh, energetic guy uh, can legally kill them. <laughs> yeah, no, the the smart woman, who's who, yeah, who is named like Joseph, is <laughs> just storming down the hallways. All right, I need I need I need Monkey W Bush sketch by yesterday, <laughs> and by yesterday I mean yesterday in the fuck because it's network TV in the freaking Greenwich time zone. Do you get me? Okay, good, good talk. Actually, not a good talk. Okay, talk to you later. We'll see if that one's better. I have a feeling it won't be. And then cut to just a woman who's basically wearing a potato sack. She's <laughs> shot from like the ceiling down <laughs> to make her look even smaller, and she's like, "Hey, hey, hey I'm gonna put the lights up." Like the light, the lighting fixture could fall on her and kill her, and it wouldn't affect the episode. So there's an all hands on deck meeting in which you know uh, the new studio exec Jordan Breen, played by Amanda Peet, uh, faces off against you know the other studio suit uh, Stephen Weber. You know Stephen Weber's in something; he's going to play an asshole, uh, and he's a prick in this. No, no different. And uh, the Amanda Peet character, her hot idea is like, you know, hey, our big problem is not what Judd Hirsch said on air. It's that what he said is true and that like, you know, this this show is hack and it hasn't been funny for like 10 years or whatever. And like my big solution to that is hiring the two best writers, the best writing director team in the world, uh, Aaron Sorkin, Mark one and Aaron Sorkin, Mark two. <laughs> that essentially represents, you know, himself. The duality, the duality of, Sorkin. of Sorkin. Only they're both smart act Jewish guys uh, who are drug addicts. Who are pill heads. And, yeah. yeah and, and, so there's, it's not even the different sides of Sorkin. It's just clones. Oh, no, no. Matthew, different hair Matthew color. Perry's character is on pills and Bradley Woodford character is on blow. Yeah, that was that's how he right. divided and, it. And, and they're introduced like being given the award for best screenplay, like the WGA, the Writers Guild Awards or something. And, you know, like uh, Bradley Woodford gets a phone call and they're like, we're offering you the show. And then there's this weird subplot where like, they, uh, oh my God, I totally forgot about, okay, the subplot is that like, at, when they're offered this job, uh, Matthew Perry thinks that like, they're, mo- they're, they're just moving on to like, their next film project. But he doesn't know that Bradley Whitford actually can't be his director on that because he just failed a drug test for cocaine. Yeah. And like, the studio won't bond him. Like, he can't no be, insurance. Like, no insurance or something. Very, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there maybe are rules like that. I, I'm not, I don't, I don't know too well, but there does, he does seem to be implying that you can't be a Hollywood director and do cocaine at the same time. Or like, you know, they'll just be in the middle of filming something and then like so the studio guys will come around and they'll be like, um, I'm sorry, Mr. Bay, can you pee in this cup? And he was like, oh, what the fuck? I didn't see this coming. <laughs> can I tell like wiping fucking like, you know, pure shit off his fucking face. Can I tell you guys? Off his face. Can I tell you guys why I think this plot device is in here? And I believe Aaron Sorkin thinks it's a real thing. Because he wanted to direct a movie about Amelia Earhart or something, just some bird brain idea he had, where it's like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do a movie about a girl who's a robber baron, and she gets taught by J.P. Morgan, who's played by Bradley Whitford, and even the studio is like, this sounds like shit. We have to tell him that we drug test, <laughs> and he's like, oh, this is a thing that happens to every screenwriter and director. We find out uh, from a from people watching expository television that the project that they were going to direct and write together was about Nikola Tesla. Again, I, I'm starting to believe that Sorkin is a prophet. Yes. But like he he's like the things he prophesizes are only stupid. Yes. And like our like our culture can only get dumber. Yeah. Who does that remind you of? <laughs> oh my god. How come 
it's only like us and him who have the power. It's really not good. No, and like, the E1 boys. But we're, and like, the E1 but boys. we're like cursed. We're like Cassandra and like this, this is horrible. I can't believe what's happening. But like Sorkin thinks he's like, you know, charting away yeah. to a new golden future. If only more people we're, knew about Epic yeah, yeah, Nikola yeah. Tesla. I mean, yeah, they were about smart people, high IQ geniuses like Nikola Tesla. And like and that world has pretty much come to pass. Yep. And it's awful. It sucks it's so terrible. much ass. We're living in the good. world that like we're, yeah. It is now the We're job. We're living in the future we always dreamed where it of. It is the job of Saturday Night Live to like correct the president and yep. like stand for truth in the American way. Yeah, no, it's that it's every show is Studio 60. Every television show with with comedy on it is a Studio 60. Everyone is is his heroic knight errant comedic geniuses taking down uh, uh the tr- the chuds and and uh, the hypocrites uh, in the news. When you turn on tv and you see like just a full five minute replay of like the senate armed services committee talking to some fucking dumbass that trump put in charge of isis or whatever in charge of fighting isis and then sam b comes on or trevor Noah or seth myers whoever your your person is and they're just like (laughs) just the the sound the sound of a lawnmower starting up but just clogged with grass, just I, smug humming. We, this is you're living in Aaron Sorkin's mind. He, we're li- he's looked into a snow globe, and now you live in it. Yep. The, just to give people who are avoiding this stuff for their health a little taste, I uh, saw a joke that Trevor Noah did last week about Howard Schultz and his his uh-huh. amazing quixotic effort to become president. He said, "Imagine if Howard Schultz ran against Trump and they debated." It would be the inventor of the pumpkin spice latte and an actual pumpkin spice latte. So Trump isn't is like a human pumpkin spice yeah. latte. Yeah, pretty good. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. That got a chuckle out of me. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so so there's Matt and Danny. That 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 is like the it, the, the Aaron Sorkin characters yeah. who play Aaron Sorkin uh, yeah. on the show. Hatch and McCarthy for uh, Stephen Weber as the the prick suit. Amanda Pete as the good suit. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the three main cast members. We've already referenced Sarah Paulson plays a thinly veiled version of Kristen Chenoweth, who Aaron Sorkin dated. And wouldn't you know it, uh, Matthew Perry's character also used to date her on the show as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deal Hughley uh, plays the other star. And then uh, Nate Cordry plays uh, like the other cast member. Mm-hmm. But like a big chunk of the early episodes or like all the episodes that we watched a big chunk of the plot and characterization on these shows has to deal with the Sarah Paulson's characters Harry her Christian faith just like the real Christian Chenoweth who also does like you know gospel albums and shit like that mm-hmm. and yeah like the way it's set up where like the big foil for the show and again it's an amazing artifact of the era it, it was in it's just so Dated. is the like evangel the christian right it's just like, and like really like, like like this is the big hurdle for them being like smart and funny on tv is you know red state affiliates who are like um you cannot make fun of our lord and savior jesus christ <laughs> on your jew written television yeah. show i mean to be fair though to be fair though that was the big it's impossible to conceive of now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, no, it is. It is. I remember though. That was yeah, no, yeah. because it was it, like the, we were all being held hostage by these hooting snake handling maniacs. I remember everyone saw fucking Jesus camp and just came out traumatized. Like these people live amongst us. 
I mean, it's no, it's they, true. They still do. I mean, it's not like right, but, but they don't have the same influence. They don't yeah. have the same influence. Well, they, they've 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 changed priorities. <laughs> right, they're, they, they're all in for just white nationalist uh, lib triggering. Right, and there are just different moral majorities for every time. Like the Gen Z one, it's literally just goody because the white characters don't say the n word. <laughs> uh, but it was a weird time, and it is weird to write it about SNL because if you remember culture in general, uh. It is kind of like MSNBC now in a way, just straight MSNBC programming in that there is this sort of general bullshit liberalism, but it is like, it was like, you know, they have fucking Giuliani on. They sort of both sides, the Iraq war, the, the, the actual most history altering decisions, they just sort of dilly dallied around. And wouldn't you know it, despite them doing that, the fucking hooting chuds still hated them. And now they've moved on to just deciding that they all do ritualistic child sacrifice and it never mattered in the first place, whatever it was. And uh, that's game and you love to see it. But it's I do think a lot of our listeners may be too young or they don't quite remember the Bush era moral majority. Yeah. It's effect on this already impossibly shitty TV. You know, this moment we're in, it couldn't it was only made possible like so many things by 9-11 when I was watching this. We were in such an interesting cultural place in like 1999, 2000. It was like, if 9-11 hadn't happened, the original Fast and Furious movie would have just gone on forever. Yes. That would have been like, they would have been living like in like in in the culture that reached its peak in the original Fast and Furious movie with Paul Walker and Vin Diesel would have gone on unabated. This movie or this show made me realize the cultural schizophrenia 9-11 9-11 cause where we are at one, we have to be sort of hope punk you know because we're liberals and we can't say that we want you know we think we win by love we think we win by hope but also everything's very serious now everything's yeah. everything's serious but also going to the mall is fighting the scourge of evil in the world and it just caused this psych this mental breakdown of the culture where the only funny things were just instances of people totally giving up of people like, let's see if this bullshit will get made like Tropic Thunder. Uh, they probably didn't think that could get made. And then it just somehow got made or like just, but you're, I mean, Tropic they, Thunder they is a good think, movie. Though. Right. That's what I'm okay, saying. Yeah. I'm saying the only good thing yeah. or like fucking like stepbrothers, things that had nothing yeah. rooted in the cultural moment of the time. Everything tied to that cultural moment is just shit. It's meaningless. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking garbage. And actually, I mean, everything, every like good comedy and everything kind of good, it just sort of tried to follow a through line of pre 9-11. But just tried to pretend that 9-11 didn't happen, which it didn't yeah. all just do that. Actually. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. If you want to write something, as we've <laughs> said, if we had just pretended collectively it never happened, everything would be way, way better now than, I, it, than it is. I advise against anyone going into any media, any entertainment. But if you really want to write something, if you think you have something great and you have just that ability that you either have or you don't that you can write things that are like evocative and fun to people and you want to make people laugh. you want people to read it like five ten years from now and laugh nothing to do with the cultural moment nothing fucking nothing because it's faster movier moving and shittier than ever yeah, what are you gonna do about trump what are you gonna talk about gonna how are you gonna talk shit, about man. trump in a way that's indelible or memorable including our stuff our you stuff do it i i think our stuff we do about trump is funny I think people that listen to us and enjoy us think it's funny, but I don't think, I think it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you're not going to go back 10 years from now. 
I don't give a shit because it's not the same as like a movie or something. Yeah. I think it's, it's I don't think th- I don't think that many people go back and listen to like podcast 10 years later. Yeah. But I am saying this show has given me a renewed appreciation for truly how much damage 9/11 did. <laughs> truly. I would say Aaron Sorkin's done more damage to America than 9/11. Well, that, that, that's a chicken and egg. <laughs> yeah, Would Aaron yeah, Sorkin yeah. be able to do so much damage? Well, the West Wing was before 9/11. Ah, but it really hit its stride after 9/11. This is the Bush, yeah. It, uh, it remember was... uh, the fucking Isaac and uh, Ishmael episode that they did after 9/11? Because 9/11 didn't happen in their universe because they, it's a different Bartlett, time frame. And it was like Mark Wahlberg. Yeah, because was on the okay, plane. okay, so b- the plane is about to hit WTC two. <laughs> And Bartlett just takes like a window cleaning lift up and goes, Eat Dominis Upartus, Allahu Akbar, you son of a bitch. No, you what is it? You Where's the line in the Quran yeah, that says exactly. it's okay to yeah, yeah, exactly. crash a plane into a bunch exactly. of innocent people, he's sir? Like, he's I, like, My God, you're correct. He's Muhammad like, Atta is like, I never thought of it that way. Yeah, he's like, I've made Zakat more times than you have this year, you son of a bitch. But there was he an just episode. Turns it around. So, but they, he didn't. He didn't. He wanted to acknowledge it, even though it couldn't happen in the universe. So, there's an episode where there's a terror, an unspecified terrorist threat, while a bunch of students are touring the White House, and there's a lockdown, and they're stuck in the room with Sam and Toby and Josh, I think. And so the kids are like, "What's going on? I don't understand. Why do they hate us?" And so they go on an hour long episode where they just break down the Israel Palestine conflict and the eternal battle between the Jews and the Muslims, named after, of course, Isaac and Ishmael, because Isaac was the good son who turned into the, you know, the, the, the uh, founder of the Jews. And Ishmael, that was the, the, the Hagar, the, the handmaiden's child, who was sent aside, and he became the, the Arabs. And it's just all this incredible potted history garbage. But then after that episode, there's way more, uh, like, international shit and the there's this evil government called the Kumar. There's a the evil country called Kumar that's doing terrorism, and he, they've got to assassinate their prime minister or something. What? And that's a whole thing. Yeah, in later Fuck seasons. Me. Yeah. So uh, it's, it, I, it, as soon always... as I love it happens, it gets diffused. And then of course there's the amazing run where he runs for re-election against Josh uh, or uh, James Brolin doing George W. Bush, and he and their famous debate episode where they say. You just show everyone how much smarter you are than him and how much more competent you are. And then he does it and then he blows them out. Oh, oh, what about the episode where the terrorists kidnap the president's daughter? Yeah. And he steps down so John Goodman can John be president. Goodman, the, 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 yes, the Speaker of the House. John Goodman's like a Newt Gingrich maniac and he becomes president. Well, we'll for like a day. I yeah. guess Sorkin likes John Goodman playing right wingers. I we'll mean, who, do, yeah. uh, who doesn't love yeah. John well, Goodman? Well, that's because when he closes his eyes and sees a flyover person, it is all 350 pounds of pre skinny John Goodman. Like that is who he thinks every American looks like. Let's be honest though, John Goodman rocks. Good taste by good taste by the pimp Sorkin. For real. I, I wanna I just want to bring up a, a couple other things. Uh the the first episode ends with like, okay, like they've agreed to do the job and they're about to have like an all cast meeting and you know, right before they, they, they go out, like, you know, Matthew Perry says to Bradley Whitford, he's like originally kind of reticent about taking the job and he goes, It's a good studio. It's got a good feel. A lot of history here. And I was like, yeah, no shit. You hear what happened to the poltergeist girl here? <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, that, that same idea that like, you know, the ground that we trod upon is, is hollow. Yeah. 
because you know John Belushi played the Japanese deli guy yeah. there <laughs> in the seventies. Do you like? Do you know how much fucking cocaine and heroin was sniffed off this table yeah. by fucking you know? Do you know Chris how many Farley? strip girls got their asses grabbed? Do you know this is the place where a bunch of people's nephews wrote the sketch "Gay Jogger." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we make fun of we make fun of and also greatly admire Mad TV, but Mad TV is indistinguishable. From the so-called, the you know, the golden years of Saturday Night Live, it's the same premise, just you know, straight up, flatly offensive character. <laughs> it's just in your face, and it's not like you know, trying to be poignant and tugging at your heartstrings. It's smart, or so think. goddamn yeah. smart. Yeah, uh, it, it's. I mean, you know, there's a little bit of little bit of a fascist in every American, and what what is fascism? But wishing for a perfect past that never really existed. And I can't think of a, a, a greater a greater example of that in entertainment, a type of entertainment fascism, than wishing for classic smart SNL, which was, yeah, it was just mad TV. Uh, now, an uh, episode two opens with like a big press conference where, you know, again, like they're announcing North and South Korea have been, you know, because reunified. Because in this universe, yeah. the channel, the network they're on, and remember, this is a network that coexists with all the networks in our reality. Yeah. Coexists with Saturday Night Live. They even mention Lauren Michaels on the show, so that it still exists on this network. Their flagship show is their late night sketch comedy show that airs once a week at, at eleven o'clock at night. No network would have that as their number one show because that's not when people watch TV. It's called prime time for a reason. If Saturday Night Live was NBC's flagship show. Like, you know, the those conspiracy threads would be true and Bill Cosby would have been able to buy it. <laughs> <laughs> but um oh but before that, there's there's a funny moment where uh, some great um intro female dialogue oh, written God. by Aaron Sorkin so that was so <laughs> funny. He's good. got when there when whenever an episode of uh, of a uh, of a show written by Aaron Sorkin passes the Bechdel test that is a sign that something and horrible it's like, it's is like, going to happen. It's, it's Sarah Paulson and the other uh, female cast member who conveniently has also slept with Matthew Perry. Uh, like they're having a moment, you know, uh, like in dress or whatever, in their dress rehearsals where uh, just someone says to Sarah, like uh, Sarah, Sarah Paulson, Sarah says, Paulson to, says to the girl who's more like buxom, and she says to her, I wish I had your body. And the woman says to Sarah Paulson, I wish I had your talent. <laughs> That's women do be talking <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah, like, women do be talking like that. Yeah. All right. I have to go into the bathroom to have my period. <laughs> All right. Don't forget to leave a tampon for me. Oh, I would leave you a tampon if you would leave me a cup size that I could have on my brazier. <laughs> All right. Uh, time to go clean up my vagina before sex. <laughs> But uh, so at, at the press conference, you're like, yeah, the national press is assembled to it. Basically, just announce that there's going to be a new executive producer on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Imagine if that was a national news <laughs> event. And uh, so they're going through like they're they're taking questions. And then out of nowhere, a woman stands up and she's like, um, hello, um, uh, like Krista McChrist from Rapture Magazine here. Rapture uh, Magazine. Literally <laughs> rapture magazine and she goes um will you be airing the controversial and incredibly clever crazy christian sketch and then like you know instead of dodging it they're just like yes we are i dare you to pick at us over this and lo and behold they do the crazy christian sketch it's it's too it's too it's too much epic. But as i was saying earlier sorkin god bless him he's aware enough that having built this sketch up and making it 
the plot backbone and being the example of something that's too smart and edgy and subversive for the mainstream audience, he never shows it. That's never put on screen because he knows that nothing he could write, God bless him for at least having enough awareness to realize nothing he could write could live up to (laughs) something called crazy Christians that would be that amazing. Uh, okay, there's, then there's another great scene where uh, Matthew Perry uh, addresses the writer's room for the first time. And he's got a sort of ride herd <laughs> on them. They're all these slobs and they're, they're hacks. And like Bradley Whitford, the director, like introduces Perry to the writer's room like to give, like, give the troops the speech. And he just goes, all right, I'll only say one thing. This isn't TV camp. So like, if you bring good ideas, they'll get on the show. If you don't, they won't. Not everyone gets to participate. Don't cry about it. Like, just be better. And if you're a woman, shut the fuck up. <laughs> Shout out Elena Smith. <laughs> no, yeah. And, and then Perry sits down. And they're like, oh, what if we have a sketch where, where Bush opens the Department of Lies? <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, Perry's like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then, like, uh, he looks at them. And then, what's his name? John Ennis plays John one Ennis. Of for inexplicably wearing a Rasta. He's like, looking like hair, a Rasta head, dude. Like, and again, it's sort of the MST3K rule. Stop reminding me of what was actually the greatest, smartest, most subversive sketch Mr. comedy show. show of all time. Yes. In this Mr. Show, a show that had no reference to the time it took place in. Oh, yeah. Almost none. That's like, why oh, it's oh, timeless. All it did was predict the future. It didn't talk about the present. And then, like, and Mer- Perry is just like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And then he just goes, instead of talking about comedy, he's just like, what are you wearing? Look at you slobs. He's like, our show is the arbiter of what's cool and hip. Since when did it become cool and hip for grown men to dress like little boys? We're professionals. You come to this writer's room, you wear a goddamn suit. I'm dude, I'm just so like, what the like what fucking universe does this guy like I'm so sick of these comedy writers coming in sagging their pants, spending all their weekly paychecks on rims. Comedy swag is for boys. Comedy class is for men. And it's just like yeah, you know, it feels you were like, yeah. Guess what? The musical guest this week is Frank Sinatra Jr. So show some goddamn respect. <laughs> it was such a weird digression. It's like Aaron Sorkin does have the insecurity of someone who, like, for eighty percent of his life was just an insane drug addict. <laughs> and he's like, "Well, at least I wear a tie." <laughs> <laughs> well, that was the William. Honestly, that was the William S. Burroughs thing. It's like yeah, he shot yeah. up every day of his life, but every morning he shaved and put on a crisp suit. So I guess and, and you gotta stitches, have some sort of stitches uh, a bag of skag into his like you know yeah. a blazer uh, jacket in case he gets arrested. You need some. You need some ther- area of discipline in yeah. your life. Okay, then there's an amazing scene where. Uh, Sarah Paulson is going off on Matthew Perry because she finds out inadvertently that like he's having sex with another woman even though they're broken up. And then she like literally, again, ta- Aaron Sorkin writing a character about himself. Harry like lists off a, re- a ream of actual women and celebrities that his character is supposedly fucked, which include Mena Suvari. Haven't heard that name since literally American Beauty came out. Marlo Thomas, sixty-five at the up, time of this writing, almost and married se- to Phil Donahue, which they say <laughs> on the show. Uh, Marlo Thomas and Rachel McAdams, <laughs> yeah. who is star like of 20. the Notebook. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, yo, he's just like, yeah. Uh, Matthew Perry's character, wink, wink. He lays pipe to all the hottest women in Hollywood. That's literally our our show. Yeah, and when you're not playing Fortnite and killing Kifu. You're fucking Kate Upton. <laughs> That's right. But I still show up and do great podcasts. So <laughs> That's right. You are you. You're an asshole, but you're the greatest podcaster who's ever lived. You can. You came up with the idea of uh, Trump meeting Dave Thomas. 
And and it got you to fuck Emily Ratajkowski. <laughs> yeah, that's right, bitch. So, like the whole art, like the whole second episode is about like it's going to be their first episode as a new producer, and they need and to that, they have come out a, with something. They got to yeah. come out with fire. The cold this open. Is their, like, yeah, this is has their to be amazing. It's reintroducing the show to the audience, acknowledging what happened, promising a new generation. And it again, has to be smart and funny and brilliant, edgy, brilliant, cutting edge stuff. And like I, again, I need to stress that like they had said on the show multiple times that like this this Friday night show is the arbiter of what is cool yep. and hip. In our in our culture, it's what everyone talks about around the water fountain on Monday, on Saturday morning, yeah. <laughs> when they go into work on Saturday. Morning. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, but like this is cool. This is hip. Like you guys have been brought on, Matt and Danny. You guys are the dangerous, edgy, cutting edge comedy writers. Yeah. So what do they come up with? This is one of the sketches we do see. What do they come up with? To- and it's the climax of the second. The episode. climax of the second episode. What do they come up with? I swear <sighs> to Christ. Oh boy. It is a parody of a Gilbert and Sullivan musical number. Yep. You have to be 80 years old to think that that is, is cool. Like, we- they do a parody of fucking HMS Pinafore where the whole cast comes out and sings like, we are the very model of a network TV show yeah. when we step in this uh, august and blessed studio. Yeah. And, and they're then- all wearing t- tuxedos and... And evening gowns, and there's a fucking philharmonic and this opera singers behind them. It probably cost five hundred thousand dollars. And like the edgy part is that they reference that Bradley, Bradley Whitford's character did cocaine. Yeah, they're like, and our producer's doing blow, yeah. doing blow, and the audience is dying. It's just like, they, they, you, it is we had the so... captions on it. It says applause, whooping. I yeah. will, I will say this, uh, you know, for that scene and for all the sketches we actually see. Aaron Sorkin would be like the John Schwartzwalder of the nation of Germany. <laughs> if he just wrote comedy sketches like that there, they'd be like, this is the funniest shit that we've ever yeah, you seen. You got to go to a non-humor comedy. <laughs> yeah. Go to like Sweden, Germany, Denmark and do that shit. Yeah. They will. You're a God, dude. Like, One of those nations where everyone is 90 years old, no matter what time they were born. <laughs> that, everyone's dude. 90 years old and it's, it's, it's nighttime for half of the year. Yeah, but and no, just uh, like uh, yo, uh, dude, we we need to make sure this we sneak this by Sanders and practices. We're gonna have a plump boy put sausages in his ears. <laughs> it's just it's like, like this Gilbert and Sullivan shit. With like that would be what would be like funny to a dinner theater office, uh, like a dinner theater audience in Branson, Missouri. Well, no, those guys are too unlettered for it. It'd be more like somebody in the Catskills in 1955. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like it's Shecky Green. Yeah, yeah. Right. This is like this is the comedy you would show your like Jewish uncle who's recovering from an ulcer. <laughs> There's a, when there when he has the brainstorm to do the Gilbert and Sullivan thing. The, he while he's realizing it, he says to the room full of people who are all trying to think of what to do. He goes, "Who is the first? Who who invented frat comedy?" W.S. Gilbert. What? That you? Ju- <laughs> uh, William God. Shakespeare was the first rapper, I'll tell you that. Oh, dude, that's so awesome. Gilbert Sullivan also invented um, racist comedy with their, uh, the, you know, the... Uh, the Mikado. The Mikado, yeah. The, yeah, Japanese people. Dude, I'm so sick of these fucking SJW cucks trying to cancel Gilbert and Sullivan. <laughs> Yo, if you're a MAGA patriot, we're going to put on our own production of Pinafore. <laughs> you're not going to... We're listening to... Baby, it's cold outside. Gilbert and Sullivan, all that shit. Fuck you. We're gonna watch the jazz singer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> enjoying all this shitty old crap <laughs> to trigger people. <laughs> I love musical theater. You fucking pussy. 
They're just miserable watching Showboat. <laughs> They're going up, going up to like the Broadway cast of a Gilbert and Sullivan's a MAGA psycho. <laughs> I bet the liberals hate that you do that. They're like, what? It's <laughs> all like gay New Yorkers. Don't ever let them take this from you. <laughs> so that's the first two episodes. It ends with them doing this Gilbert and Sullivan cold open. To rapturous applause, huge success. Oh, I want, I want one more thing about episode two. There's another through line that, that's carried throughout all of Sorkin's work, and that is, and he was doing this 15 years ago, which is insane, which, uh, or like a, a decade ago or something. No, yeah, like a long fucking time ago from now. Going at the trolls, mm-hmm. going at the bloggers oh, yes. who are writing in their pajamas, which is literally a line. Yep. On the show, and then and then the the, the Nate Cordry character uh, basically says like, uh, sh- "What's wrong with credentials? I like credentials. I like when the media was credentialed and not just some you know jerk in their ba- in yeah. mom's basement." Or and whatever. this was when the the trolls were just bloggers. You like, I just tried. I mean, I don't think Sorkin's on Twitter, but I imagine him logging on. He would melt. In he would five have a minutes. stroke. He would have a stroke. He the would mo- die. The most like lame dick rose emoji. Like, hey, 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 my dude, you've been corn cobbed. He would just, <laughs> you son of a bitch. He would just, he would just turn on the hardest Gilbert and Sullivan and just start nailing drywall. <laughs> just going beast mode. The name was like it's called. Uh, someone called Bernadette's blog was like, thickly on the sunset strip is a bore and old." And then like they're just like. I should only read this in the pages of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal. Yeah. How dare you? By the way, I like that the guy on second rate SNL is like, huh, I prefer experts. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the guy whose big claim to fame is that he has a great Bill Frist impression. Yeah. The Sorkin classic is like, it's like the nerd character is like, oh, oh no. Uh, you know, Ronald's web rings that gave us a five out of fail. <laughs> <laughs> and then the older character is like, who Who cares? And then goes, Sorkin, because he doesn't know any media figure. Like, he's only worked in media, but he, no one's less acquainted with the business of media. His idea of what blog traffic was in, like, 2008, he's like, oh, yeah, well, it has 200 million unique readers <laughs> a day. Oh, my God. Like, well, yeah, Rapture, magazine, Rapture magazine has, like, 10 million readers. No, like, there's a scene with, like, Rapture Magazine where, like, Amanda Peet's character is like, since when do we let Rapture Magazine into our press briefings or whatever? It has and, like, a circulation four times the size of Vanity Fair. I just love the idea that like, there, was a, there was an evangelical Christian magazine that is just out, yeah. It's on every yeah, newsstand when, news- when you're waiting to fucking buy your food at Kroger. Um, um, uh, uh, Mrs. Breen, Mrs. Breen, this is, uh, I'm, I'm from the email, uh, forward chain newsletter daily. Uh, the- <laughs> I'm from, uh, r- the wretched troll hive.net. Yeah. I'm from, uh, that word actually just means ignorant person quarterly. I, you know what? This show exists in Donald Trump's mind palace of like the importance of media. But like Donald Trump literally knows the business of media so much better than Aaron Sorkin. Like if he wrote this show, there would be weird stuff like the Graydon Carter character would be like, "Ooh, I'm such a sissy. Time to make another bad restaurant." <laughs> but, but like the he would know what like a neck, network executive does. He would because that's the only thing he knows. <clears throat> despite but, ostensibly only being a real estate businessman, he knows this stuff. Aaron Sorkin should have hired Donald Trump as a consultant to this show. It literally would have been actually better. there is a. Uh, 
Donald Trump is name checked during Judd Hirsch's rant. It's another prophecy where he says, uh, "You know, we're being coarsened by our media, and it's making us all want to be Donald Trump." Maybe he's right. I don't yeah. know. Maybe oh Sorkin maybe, could be right. Well, I mean, we're not giving him is, enough credit. Well, what, what the problem with him always is that he never knows where any of this is coming from. He yeah. always just thinks it's there's too many dumb women in their period involved <laughs> yeah. in writing TV, and that's why it's bad now. The TV but sucks. It's like, why it's bad is just, well, people just kind of got lazy or something like that. Well, he, people, people got he, lazy because they expected to hear from women in a meeting, yeah. basically. This is Sorkin. You know, we love Lovecraft, and Sorkin is like the Lovecraft protagonist. He's getting these visions, but because of his like dumb brain and lack of other knowledge, he doesn't know how to process them. So they're like, everyone's going to become like Donald Trump. And he's like, oh, how do I process it? Oh, um, yeah, they don't let us do show t- tunes about fundamentalist Christians anymore. <laughs> it's like, okay, man. No, but Tim was like, yeah, it's like uh, everyone's being made, uh, made made dumber and lazier by, um, uh, yeah, uh, women um, contributing in the workplace yeah. and uh, bloggers who are and making Christians. everyone dumb. But it's just like, it's just because we've lost touch, yeah, Christians, and we've lost touch with, like, uh, the smart network TV executives who want to do the right thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like the credentialed uh, media critics uh, who, you know, we should be paying attention to when they're like, yeah, Studio 60 is one of the best it's shows. Genius. It's, it's genius. It's a genius television show. So uh, th- th- that was the first two episodes. Then we watched one more, which is from like the mid-season. It's a, like we watched the first half of a two-part episode that involves a cameo by John Goodman. Once playing again. A, a local Nevada judge who's like a red state Yahoo who carries a gun and is incredibly and is pissed at Hollywood. Big fan of liberal Jews and uh, the way they they, the look, way they down look down on, on Christians. Simple, and, simple, faithful people. Uh, however, like it's, it's sort of like uh, we, it opens and they're in like this tiny like you know sheriff's department in the middle of the fucking desert, and like you know the 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 lead stars of the show like is in handcuffs or whatever. And he's like, oh, oh, geez, am I going to make the curtain call or whatever? And then, like, you, you go back. And honestly, I tuned out most of this episode because I, I had enough of watching this shit. However, this episode does have probably the most amazing scene, I'm going to say, on the run of the show. Just, you watch it and then you just think, has, has Aaron Sorkin ever met a human being? <laughs> like, okay, the setup is uh, the Sarah Paulson character, Harry, much has been made about her Christian faith. And, you know, sort of like the Ainsley character on the West Wing, you know, Sorkin always wants to show that he's like, you know, I'm not just, you know, I hate Christians, but guess what? There are some good ones, too. Yeah. And he wants to show I'm that, not like, intolerant yeah, you don't like have those to, dumb Christians. <laughs> yeah, there are some good ones as well. And uh, the Sarah Paulson's character, the Sarah Paulson character, so like in, in some media interview is asked, like, you know, do you what do you think about gay marriage? And she says... Uh, well, the Bible says it's a sin, but the Bible also says, judge not, lest ye be judged, which is like, you know, some stock answer. And then they only run the first half of the clip. And they're like, you know, Perry, how could you say that? Like, and they're, you know, and she's like, they have a back and forth about it. And she's like, obviously not a homophobic person or whatever. She just, you know, she likes her Bible. Or yeah. This is what the Bible says. So they set that up. And then like, her and the uh, the Nate Cordry character, who's like the I don't know, he's very twinkish. He's like sort of the the Chris Catan of uh, Studio Six. Yeah, he's Catan esque for sure. Uh, they're walking down the street, uh, they're of you know Sunset Boulevard or whatever, and they get approached by what appear to be fans, and they're like, "Oh, Harriet, Harriet, uh, could could you sign this you know CD of your show tunes or whatever?" And she's like, "Oh, thank you, you've made my day." She signs it. She, they hand it back to the guy. 
And the guy literally like drops it on the sidewalk in front of him and stomps on it with his foot. And he's like, that's what I think of you, you homophobic bitch. <laughs> and then he's just like, call me a fag. Call me a fag, it's you four, bitch. It's, it's like, four big gay guys She's like jean jacks. No, yeah, she's accosted <laughs> by a Tom of Finland drawing. <laughs> They're wearing jean like, jackets. Yeah, like leather caps. <laughs> They're like, you fucking piece of shit Christian bitch. You fucking Christian whore! It's literally like that's like a that's like a red state blog entry from 2007 that like was later debunked. Yeah, yeah. like uh, reaching for my like uh, my my nine millimeter hollow point clip to deter these gay style thugs. We we, 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 car. That is we, we have several insurgent style homosexuals. <laughs> that is a story that somebody wrote into Rob Dreyer's blog about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like see, they are literally, and then as they said, like. They, they're explaining they're like, oh, some gay bullies attacked her. <laughs> they call him, over bull- the course of the episode, they call them gay bullies, gay toughs, I gay, think. Gay hooligans. Gay, gay hooligans. hooligans. Yeah, like, like fucking soccer fans. And then like the, the Nate Cordry character sort of intervenes and is like, come on, back off, guy. And sort of like pushes him away. And of course, like he falls down a flight of stairs or whatever. And yeah. he's like, ow, my arm. All incredibly convoluted. Then he ends up in in jail in Nevada because he had like an outstanding speeding ticket there. And they extradite him. They extradite him to this small town in Nevada. And then like then there's this whole other fucking subplot where like the whole fucking network and like their lawyers have to fly there because I I swear to God they're trying to do a twenty billion dollar deal in Macau and yeah. they have to cater to this Chinese guy, this Chinese billionaire and his teenage daughter who's only interested in getting piped down by Chris Kattan. Yeah. She loves that little fop. She yeah. loves him, and she wants to meet him. And There's so this- since he's in Nevada, they got to take them to Nevada for her to meet him. And, of course, once again, Sorkin only writes about himself, is referencing the time he got arrested for flying to Vegas with mushrooms and cocaine. Yep. So we run into John Goodman playing a right winger again. And I'm going to admit, I was shitting for, like, 20% of this episode. <laughs> uh, but... Does it? Yeah, he's he like he does like a whole. He starts out. He's like, "Oh, I'm gonna order them to shoot you if you keep talking. You have no rights." And then he's like, "Oh," and he says something racist. But then he's like, "Oh, do you really think I do that just because I'm a red stater? Yeah. That's why I hate you liberals. <laughs> you believe like, wow. that I'm the person I just acted like for yeah. five minutes, even no, though there, there are like documented cases of pretty much every fucking redneck piece of shit sheriff and judge being exactly like this, but uh." It seems like our boys are in hock and they're not going to be able to do like, you know, a fucking Bernard Shaw play, but about the deficit or whatever genius (laughs) shit is going to go on on Studio 60. But then what's the thing about this is another Sorkin thing where there's like a liberal and a right winger are like, you're ignorant. You're smug. Well, we can both agree. We love soldiers. Yep. Yep. And that's exactly where this goes. I had to I had to sort of like skip ahead to fight. We didn't watch the part two. Wouldn't you know it? Everything resolves itself when it turns out that the Nate Cordry slash I don't know Chris Kattan character, the one who had the speeding ticket in Nevada, got the speeding ticket because he was driving to see his brother before he deployed again to Afghanistan to build schools and hospitals. Of course, I teach. And the then, like to John read. Goodman is like, yeah, like respect, like yep. yeah, like I'm I'm voiding the charges because I feel like it because yeah. your brothers are true yep. and like they all they all come together over their love of the troops that is that is a, a thread throughout all of Sorkin is this idea of all of our cultural conflicts are really petty and we could really transcend them if we just got together around our <laughs> imperial warmongering <laughs> yeah. 
He really does. He really, and you could. He's one of those guys who who harkens back to the good old days, and what he really means is like, oh, remember, like during uh, World War Two and Truman when we had the. We were all united. Remember when he dropped an atom bomb? Yeah, on Japan? exactly. I mean, yeah. really, it's like the Korean War. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Working like all these pointless, bloody, awful, wretched wars that, like, at the time of him writing, were kind of like they were at the forefront of the American consciousness, and it just went down after that, right? Yeah. But to Sorkin, it's like, hey, they're serving their country. Yeah. I'm not going to ask why I mean, there. Do you remember his absolutely wretched movie, Charlie Wilson's War? Oh, that God. movie. I, One of the worst pieces of dude, shit I've I ever seen. I can't think about that. I literally, you are going to, I can't think about it. That movie I is well, I mean, we see that. We, like, yeah, we see like that on display there. Yeah. Where like it glorifies this asshole Texas fucking shit. But he kicker. was a Democrat. But he's, yeah, he's, he's a, a lib. A, yeah, he was an epic Natsec Democrat. He was yeah. an Ugh. epic lib. He was a new dealer who just also wanted to fight communism and, and like, was serious about and, it. And like the whole point is they, they do this, you know, they literally supply Stinger missiles to, you know, what would become the Taliban. Uh, the Taliban. And, yeah. and at the end, it's like all made okay because Philip Seymour Hoffman's character just tells him like, don't forget about him now. Gotta build schools. Gotta build roads. And they're like, oops, we guess we forgot to do that. <laughs> that was what we fucked up on. And not, yep. yeah, like, not the, yeah. not the doing it in the first <laughs> yeah. place, not, not triggering, the, helping trigger the invasion of Afghanistan. Cause we were far, people forget this. We were arming motherfucking Mujahideen before the Af- Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. So yeah. Just telling the fucking insanely drunk Me Too congressman, like, <laughs> Hey, don't forget to build a society over there. Okay, gotcha, man. Yeah, that's having... the CIA's due diligence. Yeah. Hey, hey, drunk, unreliable dipshit. Uh, be sure to like create an entire like secular or semi-secular civil society. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll do that right after I finish having this meeting with a guy whose job it is to throw acid in the uncovered faces of women. Yeah, and then then I have to settle thirty-eight sexual harassment lawsuits in my own office. No, Sorkin is a guy who would be like he he is he's like I can't help but be the only one who thinks like can I be the only one who thinks that if the troops got together they could do a late night comedy show that would be the <laughs> best thing ever. Yeah. It's true. No, Sorkin is him and Bill Maher have basically the same brain. Like their worldview is almost identical in terms of they uh, are they hate women. They hate women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They really hate religion. Yeah. But they're but they, they really really hate the the, the duskier hued religions, right? And they, yeah, and they and they and they and they they don't like the the, the vast middle of America, not necessarily because just they think that racism and stuff like that is bad because it makes you a hillbilly, yeah, it makes oh, you ignorant. It I doesn't really say, have anything with 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 values or anything like I, that. I think their thing with religion is like Aaron Sorkin, he has more like personal animosity towards like you know the christ cards yeah the the fail the 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 fail christians but he's like enough of like he's enough of a like fence hitter that he's like you know i like people who live by what jesus really said yeah i have some great christian friends and but he just loves owning people by their own logic and he just hates it when the you know the fail christians you know pick at something really epic but the thing but bill maher has more personal hatred towards like muslims and they both have a deep belief that the country works best when the grown-ups are in charge. Well, that is exactly what Aaron Sorkin just said when he was interviewed by Fareed Zakaria yes. about, about AOC and like this new crop of Democrats. Uh, we said, you know, I think it's time for them to grow up. And the Democrats, we referenced this before, he said, like, we have the, we have the opportunity not to be like the dumb, the dumb, dumb party. 
previous prior to that sound clip, he had just got done saying, I really like Joe Biden the best <laughs> out of the Democratic field, which is, again, for a guy who loves credentials. I guess Joe Biden is your fucking. Yeah, he's candidate. been there forever. I mean, he has the most credentials. It just actually we should do an episode just on Joe Biden. We should because like his track record is maybe one of the worst in American political history. No, he is the Forrest Gump of the neoliberal turn. He was there with his bloody, his fucking dirty chocolate-stained fingers on every piece of major policy turn in the last 40 years, from the war on drugs to deregulation to the tax code to even gender war on shit. Terror, like fucking, yeah. uh, war on terror, Anita Hill. I mean, it's, it's stunning how he was on the wrong side of every major policy argument and helped drag the Democrats into being the absolute shell of a party that they are now. No, but like, but like, it's just, but like in Sorkin, in Sorkin mindset, like Joe Biden is the consummate, like adult smart guy exactly. in the room. Even though he's most well known for saying idiot moron things all the time, eating shit every time he's ever tried to run for president, which was like four times. One time he got nailed in his first run in 1988. He got nailed for just plagiarizing the labor party. Uh, in Britain's leader's stump speech. That's like no one would notice. What a baller. God. Uh, so, so he's just a, an absolute dullard, but he was there a lot, and he's fucking done his... He's fucking punched the clock, he's, and he's been there. He's done his homework. He's God done damn his it. goddamn homework. And it, but like you know, functionally, has just only served to move this country, you know, right. to the right, you know, in more than one horrendous way. And has you want to talk about like. Uh, being the smart party has created the 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 uh, democratic consensus positions that Hillary Clinton ran defending in 2016 and ate shit on because they suck and nobody likes them anymore. And if he ran, he would just be running on Hillary Clinton's vision of the party again. But you know, other you know, when 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 he made those comments about like I think they need to grow up, you know, get off Twitter or whatever, eh, like it, it's. It's it's funny. He immediately backtracked on that and said, like, oh, I actually do really like Ms. Cortez or whatever. But, like, the funny thing is, like, people pointing this out, like, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is, like, a character he would write that is, like, a, like a smart, plucky woman who what she really needs to is to just be, like, kind of lectured and reined in by, like, yeah. an older, smarter guy. Yeah. Log off of that Twitter, young lady. Yeah, exactly. I Log off that Twitter and get in the room with yeah. the people that you're going to have to be a darn yeah. legislator quit with. standing in the hallways and talking to these yahoos and get inside that room hey, and talk to the people hey, who hey, matter why, why don't you why don't you just have lunch with mitch mcconnell and yeah. you might understand something young lady yeah you know what's a great a great dumb guy trope is like oh i'm gonna fuck some sense into her <laughs> but that's <laughs> like literally WMD. yeah that's literally sorkin and he would call her alex you're right yeah. oh, oh my, my god, god. Yeah. jesus another he, drew, oh he made God. it happen. Yeah, yeah he, he created it. He's the late of heaven. heaven. Yeah, yeah. late of heaven. Should we, say, yeah. should we say like our perfect idea for our Studio Sixty? Reboot? Yeah, yeah. Let's let's talk about that. Okay, so it's a flagging. It's just Saturday Night Live. Yeah, it sucks. It it's fu- been dog only, shit for probably fifteen years. Like, yeah. The only people that watch it are five million podcasters. Ironically, watching <laughs> it to make themselves miserable. <laughs> Uh, just to feel something. Yeah, <laughs> it is like putting a cigarette out of because my arm. They're, when I because watch they're it. too proud to like play games or anything. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's going down. It sucks. No one likes it. But then they find a genius. Not a genius in the conventional sense. Not even a screenwriter. It's not Matthew Perry. It's not Bradley Whitford. It's a guy who runs the Facebook page. Funny ass shit. I know I'm going to hell for for <laughs> show. <laughs> And the first sketch he proposes, all right, so 
this guy, he's blind, but he's married to the woman with the world's biggest tits. <laughs> <laughs> and it just all, Saturday Night Live turns into that. It just all skits like that. It just all skits about how you should beat your kids. <laughs> uh, just like PowerPoints of memes about running over protesters. Or like, uh, or, or um, uh, just debates about like fictional scenarios like, uh, yo, would you rather have a million dollars a month or never get a blowjob again for the rest of your life? Yeah. Or yeah. just somebody holding up a Nintendo and be like, yo, you remember this shit? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the get the guests are like, it's Tom Hardy, but he's dressed up as Venom and he can't be out of character <laughs> Venom the entire time. Because Thanos. the guy who runs the page really thinks he is Venom. And Thanos, Thanos. Josh Brogan as drolling as Thanos. <laughs> yeah, and it just about it's like it brings America together. Like, you know, uh, the a right wing senator and like the Alex Cortez go on because they've just both like, this show is everyone in America can now relate to this show because it is funny as shit. I know I'm going to hell for it. Oh, show, <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. We're pitching it right now. You know I, what? I it hope, would be I better. Yeah, it would be better than everything they have because, as we were saying, the final rebuke to this show has now happened. It took over a decade, but we now live in the world that he envisions where. All of the best comedy minds are dedicated to being smart challengers of the status quo who speak truth to power, and it fucking sucks. The only way you can really... It's all terrible and stupid. And it's it's the most ineffective Utterly toothless as well. Yeah, toothless and ineffective. All all these guns were trained on Trump for two years to bring him down, and it did not stop him from winning. The utter impotence of his worldview is shown in everything that has happened since. That's the series finale of funny ass shit. I know I'm going to hell for for show is it takes down Donald Trump, which is what makes him such a tragic figure, because you're we're we are realizing that he did have a dim view of what was hoving in to the reality. But he just he couldn't contain it in it. He couldn't conceive of it. And so he's just doomed to provoke the most absurdly impotent response to it this this vision of of like uh ambitious uh uh earnest smart people in a room together fixing all the problems and it absolutely failing every time <laughs> just eating shit you eating, hate to see it <laughs> eating plate after plate of shit i mean i think that pretty much puts a bow on the sorkin trilogy yeah i mean like Fascinating, like a, a man who, who, yeah, I think we've proven, like, really has created the world we live in, but it's like a monkey's paws type scenario yeah. where we get what we, he got what he wanted, but in a uh, grim, ironic way that's doomed us all. He is the man who says outside the bar, You're so lucky I'm on parole and my wife is here. He comes back, he's not on parole anymore, his wife isn't there, and he loses the fight soundly. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I think it boils down to his just lack of any material understanding of the universe he does not get material uh, determining causes of things happen he doesn't think that way because he's a liberal yeah he just thinks it's about smart people and dumb people yep. like, like that that's it like yep. that's it there's no interests there's no conflict there's just smart people and dumb people that's the real conflict that's the real battle and if you put the smart people in charge they would fix all the bad things about comedy, about news, and about <laughs> the world we live in, and about politics. <laughs> Literally, yeah. And it's like every, everybody who was in that fucking Obama White House is exhibit A through F that that is 100% incorrect. And everybody writing, all those Harvard assholes writing for Saturday Night Live are exhibit B through Z. 
you know what? You know what the next uh, Sorkin show is? What's he going to fix this time? Yeah, what's he going to fix? Not gonna fi- it's just going to be a straight up story about like an honorable podcast network. <laughs> and you know which one I'm talking about. The fucking crooked media. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, oh, oh it's, God. It's going to happen. Oh, no. He's going <laughs> to do that. No. Oh, he's going to be. Because you know what happened? Because this is, this is the real. Sports night came about because he was on Coke in a hotel room one night and he was just watching TV and he came on Sports Center and he saw the repartee. This was the heyday of the Dan Patrick. Uh, Oberman, era, Patrick. When yeah. they're just like doing all the just, dance yeah. and they're super clever. And he's like, this is fascinating. How do they do this? And so then he just did a bunch of work Coke and like got into that. If he's, if he gets zooted up and listens to a few pod save episodes he's going to be like oh my god this is it smart people in a room trying to make sense of the world around us and get people interested and passionate and voting and, and informed what is it like to do that okay that means we're gonna get an aaron sorkin show about a fucking podcast we're gonna network. get an aaron sorkin show about a podcast network that's like a thinly veiled take on the johns oh god but in the universe of that show oh, there is gonna hurts. be his version of our show yes! let's go Idiots who don't know anything. But he's gonna like greatly exact. Like the they're gonna be like, oh, you got roasted on the drug audio hour, <laughs> and they'll be like, who cares? And they'll be like, they have one hundred billion downloads a day. <laughs> the crack they make thirty million dollars a second. It's on the crack Patreon. smoking Hitler hour. <laughs> yeah. and they're like, what? People listen to this? Dude, we have to get on as and, ourselves. <laughs> I, I'm volunteering right now. Yeah, me too. Me too. Put me in, coach. I mean, we, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, oh my God! That's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. We are willing him it into being of him willing it yeah. into being. I mean, it's because yeah, because Cricket Media is the fulfillment of his vision. Yeah, like, yeah, that's yeah. like they are living. Well, I'm, in I'm his thinking world. about that Dan Pfeiffer book where he's like, "What can you do? You start fact based media." <laughs> it's like <laughs> there you go, man. Yep. Oh my oh, God! Fucking a shit! I cannot wait for this to happen. Oh my God! It's gonna I cannot so wait hard. for it to happen. Oh my oh, God! Holy shit. Oh hell uh, yeah! So do you guys want two other predictions? Yeah. Yes. David Mamet drama about esports, <laughs> <laughs> like Red Belt. No, that's but, literally, but, but, but it'll that's get, literally going to happen. No, no, but he's going to get it, he's going to get it as wrong about esports as he did about jujitsu yeah, and Red Belt. Yeah, yeah, like they're going to be in the comp, the land competition, and they'll be like, "Oh, my downloads are too fast. <laughs> I need to double my RAM right now." They're like, "This player's cheating. He's using LimeWire to listen to MP3s <laughs> for free." Yeah. Um, Arnita Sarkeesian will be in there as the villain. Yeah, representing yeah. the SJW. And she's lying, like, yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, and then, finally, I think HBO show about the occult. Pre- prestige TV show about women in the occult that lasts one season that everyone says they watch but didn't. <laughs> These are my cultural predictions. All right. Let's see, what they ha- let's see if they happen, folks. If there was a parlay, I, could put the- I would put, like, fucking a grand on a parlay right now. Easy. That's fucking easy money. Bet DSI get on that shit. Yeah. Well, boys. We All right. It. I think we put them. We back. hated to see it. Yeah, we, we did it. it. Uh, yes, we're announcing it now. This Sunday, if you're going to be watching the big game, the superb owl, I like to call it. Watch it with us on our next soon-to-be epic and legendary live Twitch stream. We will be going live at halftime. We'll be counter-programming the Maroon 5 halftime show, and then we'll be with you until the end of the game with guests, analysis, predictions, spoofs, goofs, hijinks. We're going Super Bowl Sunday. Twitch.tv says Chapo Trap House. 
We are going live at halftime. I hope you will join us at any of your Super Bowl parties. Just put us on. Mute the game. Put us on. We will watch it with you. We will take you through all the thing. We're going to have some excellent guests, some friends, some new faces uh, calling in or stopping by to join us. It's going to be a hell of a party. And I promise that I will be sticking to beer. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, death to the Patriots. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yes. Parody. <laughs> all right. Uh, cheers. Bye. Bye. We'll be the very model of a modern network TV show. Each time that we walk into this august and famous studio, we're starting out from scratch after a run of 20 years. And so we hope that you don't mind that our producer was got doing well. We hope that you don't mind that their producer was got doing well. We hope that you don't mind that their producer was got doing well. It's hard to be a player when at heart you've always had a hunch To bite the hand that feeds you is a scary way of doing much But still when we walk into this august and famous studio We'll be the very model of a modern network TV show But still when they walk into this august and famous studio They'll be the very model of a modern network TV show I am a Christian, tried and true, baptized at age 11 So unlike the liberals, gays and Jews, I'm going straight to heaven But if you feel you've been cheated and our sordid content lets you down We'll happily do the favor of an intellectual reach around We'll happily do the favor of an intellectual reach around We'll happily do the favor of an intellectual reach around